from D. James Kennedy Ministries. This is Kennedy Classics. Hello, I'm Frank Wright, president of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. Welcome to Kennedy Classics. I'd like to invite you to visit our ministry website where you can find a host of great resources. It's all available online at djkm.org. Amazing Grace is probably the most famous hymn in all of history. Many know the story of the song's writer, John Newton, a reckless youth who was forced into the British Navy. After attempting to desert and being caught, Newton ended up working the slave trade for many years. On one voyage home, Newton's ship was caught in a terrible storm in which he nearly lost his life. He took his survival as a sign from God and gradually grew to accept Christ as his Savior and repented of his former ways. It was later in his life that he penned the renowned hymn declaring that even a person as vile as himself could be saved by God's grace. While it's known as the world's most famous hymn, it equally may be that amazing grace is the world's least understood concept. The scriptures say, by grace are you saved, but what does grace really mean? Here now is Dr. D. James Kennedy with his message, Grace Unknown. And now may we hear the inspired word of the living God. It's found in the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and we will begin our reading with the ninth verse. The infallible word of our God. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican, I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all I, that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And may God, by his Spirit who inspired these words, speak to our hearts and lives this day through them. And may the name of our God ever be praised. Amen. Amazing Grace. 
the world's favorite hymn. Whether in a spiritual setting or whether played by bagpipes and rising to the number one place on the charts as it did in Great Britain a few years ago, or whether in the beer taverns of Germany played by an umpa-pa band, Amazing Grace is the world's favorite hymn. I am equally convinced that Amazing Grace is also the world's least understood concept. And the vast millions of people that love the song or the melody haven't really a clue about the tremendous, tremendous truth that it contains. So I want to talk to you today about grace unknown. Certainly here in America, the vast majority of people that I've talked to don't really have any idea what is meant by grace. Now that is a very serious matter when we realize that it's not merely the name of a song, but it is that concept, that working by which we will everlastingly be saved or know. For the scripture says, by grace ye are saved. So I would ask you, what does grace mean? I've asked that question to hundreds or thousands of individuals, and I would venture to say that probably less than 5% have been able to answer that question. What does grace mean? Well, I think that the parable that we read today, the parable of Christ, is a very good example of what that grace means. How wonderful are the parables of Christ. When you say the word parable, you inevitably think of Christ. And how magnificent are those parables that he told. How pithy, how pungent, how pointed they are. And the shaft of any truth, if feathered with a parable, flies straight to the heart and sinks in. And I pray that this will sink into the hearts of some today. And I hope it will never be forgotten. Exactly what is a parable? Well, it comes from two interesting Greek words, para, which means alongside of, and balain, which means to cast or to throw, from which word we get ballistic missiles and many other such words, which are cast or thrown. It means a truth or a story which is cast alongside of someone or something to shed light upon it for comparison or illumination. And Jesus was, as is unquestioned, the master teller of parables. Two men went up into the temple to pray. What a simple everyday event that was in the life of Jerusalem. It was seen by literally millions of people over the years, 
and yet Christ saw, as always, with a depth that none others really saw. They went up into the temple to pray, a perfectly proper thing to do. But what a contrast in these two men who went up to pray. And by the way, Jesus is telling this parable right to the Pharisees, as you see in verse 9. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Notice how Jesus paints this Pharisee with a very few strokes of his brush. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. What an ironic twist. He prayed with himself. In fact, the Greek text is even worse, for the Pharisee, that is. It says he prayed to himself. And I'm afraid many people before and since have prayed merely to themselves, because certainly God would not have been interested in hearing what he had to say, because his prayer, under the guise of a prayer, was nothing over than a, other than a self-exaltation, where he bragged about his own righteousness and goodness. I thank thee, God, he says, and at that point it loses all semblance of any prayer. I thank thee that I am not like other men. And immediately he begins with such an invidious comparison of himself with all other men. It was said of one rabbi that he said to his son, if there be two righteous men in all of the world, I am absolutely convinced that we are they. And should there be but one, I am confident that I am he. Nothing proud about that man. But this Pharisee would have perhaps felt quite comfortable with him. I thank thee that I am not like other men. Do you know, before I came to know the grace of God, before that day when the windows of heaven opened the love of Christ to me, I used to think that the only thing that really was bad was these egregious sins, the heinous sins of murder or rape or kidnapping or stealing or things like that. It never dawned on me that there were other kinds of sins of the Spirit that a person could be guilty of. And I think that there are many that have the very same idea today. He's not like other men. He is not an extortioner. He is not unjust. He is not an adulterer. And so he lists off these three qualities which he does not have. And right away he is guilty of what I would call the cafeteria concept of Christianity. Millions hold to it. And what is it? It is simply this, that I will go down the line of God's commandments and I will pick out one or two or three that I feel that I am least susceptible to, and then I will set these up as the standard for my righteousness, and having picked some that I am quite good at avoiding, I will then say, voila, 
I have succeeded. I am a righteous man. But the Bible makes it very clear that if we offend in one point, that we are guilty of all. And we cannot be selective in what we choose. This man had left out altogether the matters of love, the matters of compassion, the matter of real heart holiness. He had a very superficial view of religion. And most of all, he was not like that publican. And that base makes up the basis for the hopes of millions of people in our world. Their hope is they know somebody that's worse than they are. And based upon that solid foundation, they hope that they're going to get into heaven. And that's exactly where this publican was. Then he described his positive religious acts, ceremonial in nature. I fast twice in the week and I give tithes of all that I possess. Now there's certainly nothing wrong either with fasting or with giving tithes. But again, he shows his selectivity and he selects two things which he feels that he is doing quite well in, thank you, and he ignores all of the rest of the things that he is commanded to do. And so again, he finds himself quite respectable. Thank you very much. The other man was a publican that went up into the temple. <clears throat> now a publican was a tax collector. Now we know that uh, tax collectors are not the most beloved of people. To tell people that you work for the IRS is not to ingratiate yourself with many people today. By the way, I did see the new IRS tax form. It's, it's being simplified greatly. I, I'm sure you'll be glad to hear that. It just now has two lines. How much money did you make last year? Send it in. <laughs> it's very simple. But the publican was worse than that, twice over. Because one, he was a turncoat quizzling who was collecting, he was a Jew collecting taxes from other Jews and giving them to the Roman overlords. And if the two of those things, a tax collector and a turncoat, were not bad enough, he was also an extortionist because the Romans didn't tell him how much tax to collect. They said, this is how much we want and you're responsible for. Now you go out and collect as much as you can get, but that's all we want. And so he extorted out of the people as much taxes as he possibly could. No wonder people would cross the street rather than to pass by a publican. No more vile and despised person existed in the Jewish society than the publican. And no, that, that, that doesn't start with an R. <clears throat> and however today that might be understood by some. And this publican went up into the temple to pray. But he wouldn't stand near the altar. He stood at the other end. He stood afar off. 
nor would he even lift up his eyes to the altar or to heaven because he saw himself as so vile. He saw himself as so unclean, as so unworthy, as so guilty for his sins. And we don't know what they all were. That he turned his head down toward the ground, bowed his head and smote upon his breast and cried out, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now there is the sinner's prayer. And let me say this, if you haven't prayed out of your heart some such prayer as that, you will never see the inside of heaven. For all of us are guilty, all of us are unclean, all of us are unworthy, all of us are unfit to live in heaven with God. Martin Luther said, the most damnable and pernicious heresy that has ever plagued the minds of men is the idea that we vile, depraved sinners could ever make ourselves good enough to live in the presence of an all-holy God who is of purer eyes than even to look upon iniquity. Well, this publican knew that right well. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's interesting, it didn't quite say that in the Greek text. It says, God be merciful to me, the sinner. As far as that publican was concerned, there was no one else on this planet except himself and God Almighty, whom he could not even lift up his face to look at. He was aware of none others. He was aware of no other comparisons. He was simply aware of his own guilt and his own vileness. Another thing that isn't quite what the Greek text says, it says, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Greek word is, be propitious or be propitiated unto me. Halaskomai means to be propitious. Propitious means to be well-pleasing. Jesus Christ is the propitiation, that sacrifice which turns the wrath of God away onto himself and away from the sinner. God be propitiated unto me, the sinner. Even as the sacrifices of the Old Testament were propitiations of God's wrath. And so Christ is the fulfillment of all of those and the embodiment of the divine propitiation sent into this world to pay for the sins of men. And so when we come to God for mercy, we come to cling to that cross and to that propitiation. And everyone who from his heart says, God, be propitiated unto me, the sinner, will find that he has taken hold of that cross, for there is no other propitiation. No other founder of any religion died for the sins of the world. No other founder of any religion endured the wrath of Almighty God for the transgressions of the world. Only Jesus, the Son of God. He is the way and the truth and the life. Ah, my dear friend, that is the wonder of his grace, that as vile as we are, we are accepted. How astonishing it is to learn that I am accepted not for anything that I am, but in spite of everything that I am.
I am accepted because of everything that he is. Not what I have done, but what Christ has done for me. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued? Amazing love! How can it be that thou, my God, shouldest die for me? That is the amazing grace. That is the greatest discovery that any human being can ever make in this world. Has that discovery been yours? The publican said, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And Jesus said, he went down to his house justified rather than the other. That Pharisee who despised others finds that very word turn back upon himself, even as Christ said it always happens. He went down to his house justified. Some of you are here trusting in yourselves. Your hope of heaven is built on nothing more than your own self-righteousness, your own piety, your own benevolence, your own commandment-keeping, your own ceremonial fulfillment. Nothing more than that. But I want you to know that my hope of salvation, which is an assured and certain hope, is built on nothing more, nothing less, rather, than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And he went down to his house justified. He asked for mercy and God gave it to him. Dear friend, may that discovery be yours, even right now. Let us pray. Father, there are some here like the Pharisee of old, and they know not that they have no righteousness of their own, that they are covered with the filthy rags of their own unrighteousness and own uncleanness. And, O oh God, grant right now to each such a view of themselves and then a view of a loving Savior hanging upon a cross for them. And may they, from the depth of their heart, with the fulfillness, the fullness rather of sincerity, say, O oh Christ, be merciful to me, a sinner. And may they go down to their house justified this day. And all praise and all honor and all glory will go unto thee, O Lord, to whom with thy Father and the Holy Spirit, one God forever, be all honor and praise, dominion and glory, now and forevermore. Amen.
I hope, like Dr. Kennedy, that your hope of heaven is not based on your own merit, but on Jesus' blood and righteousness. If you prayed along with Dr. Kennedy just now, realizing your sin and asking for Christ to be merciful to you, then here's what the Bible says. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, has everlasting life. To help you understand more about the decision that you've just made today, we want to send you Beginning Again. This is the book written by Dr. Kennedy for new believers. In these pages, you'll find the book of John from the New Testament, as well as answers to questions that you may have about the Christian faith and so much more. It's yours when you write to our address or call our toll-free number and ask for Beginning Again. God bless you as you do. As Dr. Kennedy aptly notes, it's astonishing to know that we are accepted not for anything we are, but for everything that Christ is. His grace is undeserved and unearned, and God has shown grace to America from our inception as a nation. But it's clear that America has turned its face from God. The biblical foundation that our nation was built upon is being eroded by those who seek to destroy it, attacking the base of major institutions such as marriage and the family. We have some important resources for you that will help you better understand this barrage on our nation's traditions and institutions. The first is a brand new special report that you need to read. It's called The Assault on Families, Parental Rights in the Crosshairs. This carefully researched expose by our education specialist, Dr. Karen Gushta, shows how leftist radicals are trying to use the United Nations, the court system, and the government to transfer authority for your children and grandchildren to the state. We will send it to you as our thank you gift for your generous donation to the ongoing work of this ministry. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339 or call toll-free 888-332-3069 or go online to djkm.org. And if you are able to give a donation of $50 or more, we will send you the special report plus the compelling book, Takedown, From Communists to Progressives, How the Left Has Sabotaged Family and Marriage by Dr. Paul Kengor. We are seeing nothing less than a full cultural revolution pursued by the radical left following in the footsteps of Karl Marx and others. This eye-opening book connects the dots between the founders of Marxism and communism and the sexual anarchy we're seeing in our culture today. As our thanks for your generous donation of $50 or more, we'll send you the book Takedown from Communists to Progressives, How the Left Has Sabotaged Family and Marriage by Dr. Paul Kangor, as well as the special report, The Assault on Families, Parental Rights in the Crosshairs. Or we'll send you the special report alone as our thanks for your generous donation. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339 or call toll-free 888-332-3069 or go online to djkm.org.
www.ferguson-church.org. I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Kennedy Classics. We'll see you next time. Today's program is available on DVD or audio CD for your gift to this ministry of any amount. Please call, write, or log on to our website today. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.